So we're continuing our uh, series in Isaiah, and we're looking at uh, uh, now sort of that, that kind of that hope of change that we began to look at last week as John unpacked for us um, who God is and, and, and the truth of who God is and, and the God that we worship, a theme that we're exploring a little bit more uh, at this evening's evening service as well. Uh, and, and what we're looking at here is, is, is basically the choice we have as a result of that truth, as a result of who God is, and the choice that Israel uh, had as well. You see, God's desire and intention for the people of Israel was always that they would be set apart, that they would be a nation that people would look to and see that God is real. That they would look to the nation of Israel and believe in the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob without a shadow of a doubt. But if we're honest with ourselves, what do we tend to remember the nation of Israel for when we read in the scripture? How much they messed up. How much they complained. How much they got it wrong. How much they fumbled in the darkness. How much they... Uh, walked away from God, and that's not new. That happened. That's been happening for centuries. There's a, there's a, there's a story uh, that rabbis used to tell, apparently, uh, not long after the parting of the Red Sea. And the story goes that the Israelites were walking through uh, the Red Sea, walls of oceans either side of them, as they're delivered from uh, the people of Egypt, and they're walking through, and they're looking down and saying, "Oh, it's really smelly, isn't it? Oh, my sandals! Oh, there's sand everywhere." Uh, and that's the story they used to tell about it. This just says, Israel, we know they complained a lot. They did complain a lot. And when we can look at it and we can say, how can you see the God of heaven provide manna from heaven and still rather worship a golden calf? You know, it's, it's, we look at it with this, this sense of, uh, of struggling with, with their faith, forgetting perhaps that they were in the wilderness. <laughs> That it was a tough time that they were going through, as John rightly pointed out last week, the kind of journey that they were going through, the suffering that they were facing day in, day out, as enemies rose up against them at every corner, really. But the fact is, they weren't supposed to be remembered necessarily for their actions, but for who they were. They were God's chosen people that he had chosen, his nation, special in his eyes, to do his work on earth. And we know that there were individuals who did get it right, or at least partly right, uh, and, there, and there were individuals that we look back on and we thank God for. But they were God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, chosen nation. God's desire for us is that we're set apart is that we're different, is that people will look to us and see without a shadow of a doubt that God is real. That's his hope for the church. It's not only his hope for the church, it's his prayer for the church. This is uh, by far uh, one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture, if you're allowed to have such things, uh, where Jesus, not long after talking about uh, the vine and the branches, and he's talking to his disciples about remaining in the vine, remaining in Jesus, uh, he, he prays this prayer. Uh, if you want to follow, it's in John 17, verse 20. 
I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed that for us. <coughs> Jesus prayed that for his church. And what we see about what sets us apart from the rest of the world is not our righteousness, is not how right we are, is not how perfect we are, is not how brilliant we are, but how in love we are with God and with one another. And how much we love the God that we worship. The God that we adore and how we share in that love with one another. And, and we're talking this morning about the difference between kind of sin and obedience. And what I want to do to explain that is kind of explain what God did on the cross. And I know you're sitting here thinking, oh, the gospel again. We know this. Uh, I know you know this, but I want to do something significant with that particular moment that Jesus died on the cross for us. And I've been really encouraged this weekend because I wrote this sermon uh, last week, which is rare for me to write that far in advance. But I wrote this sermon uh, last week and this weekend at the 220 conference, which I can now wholeheartedly commend having done uh, nearly all of it after this afternoon, um, this theme has just been encouraged and encouraged more and more uh, for me and, and for all of us who, who have been at the conference. Because there's something that happened on the cross that changed our status. Because we, like the people of Israel, we know we mess up. We make mistakes. Uh, we, we have sin in our lives. We can't deny the fact that sin exists. We know that temptations come along the way, and we can look at stories like the temptations of Jesus, and we can um, take courage that it's possible to overcome temptation, uh, but also uh, we can feel like we fall so short. And, and Paul says that we all fall short of, of the glory of God, that we've all sinned, we all fall short. But let me just explain uh, something that happened on the cross. Jesus defeated sin in such a way that even though sin still happens in our lives, we no longer need be defined by it. Uh, now that doesn't mean that we're no longer going to sin. Uh, I once heard a story of a preacher who, who once proclaimed that on stage. He said, Jesus saved me, I'm forgiven, I'm free, and I no longer sin. And there was someone in the uh, audience who decided to put that to the test in the coffee break and poured a jug of milk over his head and quickly found it wasn't true. Uh, he very much uh, did still sin. It's not that we don't sin, but it's that we're no longer defined by sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I wanted to uh, show this in some way, and I've asked John to come and help me just because he's uh, used to putting on robes quickly. Um, I know it's not an all-age service, but I, just, I couldn't resist. Um, this is because he's always late. Yeah. Let's 
imagine that this, uh, this row, we don't need to put it on properly, um, represents uh, the sin in our lives. We, we often depict sin as black, I don't really know why. Uh, black's a perfectly good colour, but um, not colour, whatever. Uh, but, you know, let's imagine that this is the sin in our lives. And we know that uh, before Jesus, uh, we, we were a sinful people. We're born into the line of Adam. There's nothing we can do about that. I don't particularly think that's great, but it's just the way the world is. We're born into that line of sin. This is what we've been looking at this weekend as well. And we know that when Jesus died on the cross for us, he forgave our sin. I'm pretty sure everybody here can say, yep, I sign up to that. Yes, I believe that's the truth, that Jesus died on the cross for us and he forgave our sin. But more than that happened on the cross. It wasn't just a case of Jesus forgiving our sin. A transaction took place on the cross. You see, he took uh, the sin away from us. This is uh, those who have chosen Jesus and repented, obviously, and turned to life with him. But we have a tendency still even to try and hold on to that sin, don't we? We might accept the forgiveness for a little bit, but if we're honest, we'll come back to it, won't we? We'll hold on to the guilt and the shame that came with that sin. Uh, We will struggle with it, probably. We'll keep coming back to it. uh, And and we'll just keep coming back to that point. But, But that goes some way to undermining what Jesus came to do. Because what Jesus actually did to do was actually to completely remove the sin and the shame that goes with it, no matter how much you want to hold on to it. But not only that, Paul says that he went on to clothe us in righteousness. Not only to remove sin, but to clothe us in righteousness. What that means is that now, for the person who has chosen life with Jesus, he no longer sees us as sinful people, but he sees us as righteous because of the blood of Jesus. And so no longer are we uh, like we used to be, sinners who occasionally have the ability to be saintly. We are saints who occasionally sin. That's the transfer that happened on the cross. We're no longer sinners who are occasionally saintly, Because of grace, because of nothing we've done, but everything he did on the cross, we are saints who occasionally sin. Sin is still in our lives, it's still a journey. There are times we'll have sins that we go back to time and time again. There are some habits in our life we might need counselling or help to break out of. There are things that are repeated patterns in our life. There are things that when we're weak and tired we'll go back to. We're talking this weekend about the flesh. We're still people uh, that that is an influence in our lives. But it's no longer what we're defined by. But as if this wasn't enough. As if taking away our sin and clothing us in righteousness wasn't enough. Jesus, as Paul says in Romans, did something else as well. Uh, Purple is the colour of royalty. And this is all I have to kind of picture there, really. He made us heirs of the kingdom. Isn't that incredible? In Romans, Paul says that the spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. 
that God is our Father. And as God is our Father, we become, with Jesus, heirs of the kingdom of God. We have been given the keys to the kingdom. And our inheritance is no longer death, which it was when we were sinners, but is now life. Life in all its fullness. I'm not going to make John stand here any longer because... I think that this is an incredible truth, isn't it? A life-transforming truth. And we have a choice. We can live according to that way that we once were. we can live life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit that is life in all its fullness. Life in the Spirit that is, as we've heard described actually, that even through tough and difficult times, there is an assurance that God is with us and in us and through us, that we are His beloved children. And for me, The life of sin versus the life of obedience is a (laughs) no-brainer. To those who don't believe, it's foolishness. We know that. And and you might be sitting here this morning thinking, I sin all the time and you're feeling really guilty and you're feeling really bad for the amount that you sin and how you always have these repeated sin patterns. My suggestion is if you're bothered about it, then I'd say that transformation has already taken place. Because it was a once-for-all act. Because people who live in sin don't really care that they live in sin. But people who have chosen obedience to God know, know that they want to live his ways. And we won't get it right all the time. We'd like to think that we can always be like Jesus in the desert, don't we? And always resist those temptations when they come. And sure, sure, we, we seek to do that with God's help. But the key temptation that we face from the enemy today is to deny our identity. Our given identity as sons and daughters of God, righteous in the eyes of God and heirs of the kingdom of God. And if you're doubting that this morning, then stop believing a lie. Because this is biblical truth of a God who's never broken a promise, that that is who you are. (coughs) Righteous in his sight. And whilst you will still occasionally sin, some more often than others, you will still mess up, you'll have those things in your life you need to deal with. We're no longer defined by that. That no longer shapes our destiny. Why do we share the good news of Jesus with those around us? Do you share the good news because you long to see the people you love in heaven? Well, I kind of want to see my brothers in heaven. I really do. But that's not why I want to share the good news of Jesus with them. It's because I believe Jesus is worth knowing now. 
and they're missing out on life in all its fullness now. And sometimes you go to churches, thankfully not here, uh, sometimes you go to churches and, and, and people look really miserable. <laughs> and I once heard a phrase, Jesus saves, tell your face. Um, which I thought was a bit cheeky. Um, but actually, it's not about being happy. It's not about having a smile on your face all the time. It's about having an assurance of joy that comes from the promise of who we really are. Of who you really are. And so you can make that choice. Surrendering, as we've just heard in the testimonies, everything over to God. And I mean everything. Knowing that you can trust him. Or not. And in my experience, it's far better to surrender. Far, far better to surrender. Because as we've already heard a lot this morning, he is a good, good father who loves you so much that he made a way for you to have life in all its fullness through Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And we thank him for it with our lives. Let's stand together, shall we? I'm just going to pray before we sing. <laughs> the thing that's been uh, striking me this week is we're talking here about, obviously, uh, life in the spirit as opposed to life in the flesh. And uh, one of the things that I've been reminded of this weekend is that the Holy Spirit is relational, not functional. He does have a purpose, and he has things that he does, but he ultimately is relational, and no one knows you better than he does. Uh, so let's just um, invite him. He's already here, so we're not going to invite him to come. We're just going to invite him to work amongst us. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you... Reveal to us more of what it means to live a life surrendered to you. Thank you so much for the price that you paid. Thank you that three days later you rose from the dead, defeating death. Thank you that we can have life in all its fullness. As we wait and as we pray, if there's something in your life you know is not surrendered to God, And as we heard in the testimonies earlier, now is uh, the best time of any to surrender fully to Jesus. And all it takes is for you to just say, Jesus, 
I surrender all to you.